0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share the experience of Keisha L. Ingel, And I'm not sure if that's Ingel or Engle, but uh, this is from the website ChicagoIons.org. So it's the Chicago uh, chapter of, of IONS, um, and they have several experiences to share. So you're, if you'd like to see several near-death experiences, you can find them on ChicagoIons.org, I-A-N-D-S. And here is her experience. In February 1974, when I was 14 years old, I experienced some kind of overdose which nearly killed me. I had willingly and recklessly smoked something called angel dust. Quite a rebel at that time in my life. I was expelled from the public school system. Too many truances and disruptive behavior I also was arrested for drug use by undercover cops at the new school. The night of the overdose, I entered my room and closed the door to the outside world. I drifted into a deep, faraway sleep. The voices from other parts of the house faded into the distance. My body lay listless on the bed, and I suddenly was someplace outside of myself, beyond the storm, the suburbs, and the city lights. I was traveling, tumbling through the darkness in a strange void of unfamiliar space. Sharp, stabbing, nameless voices without form seemed to chase me in the blackness. Loud buzzing, irritating, and incessant taunting me, er, taunting, seemed to pursue me. It was as if I was spinning, but I had no body. I felt confused, frightened, and utterly alone. As I reached the peak of my despair... A new thought pierced my awareness. A dim and promising glow appeared in the farthest reaches of space. Intuitively, I knew that the light would save me from this torment. It seemed to magnetize me like a beacon in a a sea of darkness, and I knew I had to direct myself to it. The brilliance grew stronger and more alluring as my desire to be near it surged. And in an instant, I was completely and profoundly surrounded by the brightest, most intense and loving light imaginable. It welcomed me with a sense of peace that I had never known before. I was awestruck. But I was thinking, how did I get here? Do I really deserve this? With that thought, I felt myself slide off the beam as if all my protection vanished. The forces of darkness were just too great. I heard that haunting, malicious laughter again, and it drew me down into the abyss. I wondered how I could retrieve the peace. What had I done wrong? Was it real? In a flash, I, tra- I traversed the universe and felt enveloped in serenity once again. This time, it was as if I could see without eyes. I perceived an ethereal mist, and a lush, life-filled place awaited me. My energy merged with that of a golden-white, glowing essence, one of complete love and absolute safety. Filled with bliss, I knew I was going home at last. Yet before I could cross the threshold into my true home, I also knew that I must return something unspoken filled my awareness and in seconds, as if time can be measured at these levels, I was being drawn backwards. I perceived flashes of light swirling quickly by. They were like tiny electrodes of information that contained scenes from my life. A vacuum-like suction swooped me directly from that safe haven and I woke to my father's face bent over me. He was shaking me violently saying, get up, get up now. They'd been calling me for a half an hour and I hadn't moved. If you don't get up now, we will call the hospital and your parole officer will know that you've been using. I felt as if I'd been shot back to some kind of hell, disconnected from the light. My dad's nostrils flared with the smoky haze of his cigarette, he paced adamantly, Get up, he commanded, when he saw my eyes open. Somehow I was sentenced to live with this family, and it felt so foreign to me. Oh, what a task it was to move. My body felt paralyzed initially, as if it were filled with lead. As disconcerting as it was to return to this world, I knew what I had to do. I dragged my sandbagged legs across the floor and reached up to tear a pot leaf poster off my bedroom wall. My dad stood incredulous. His mouth dropped open in disbelief. His eyes widened. Do you want me to get rid of this? He asked. I nodded and proceeded to rip down another black light poster of Uncle Sam giving the finger. My dad just shook his head and muttered, unbelievable. I could feel his heart lifting as my body grew lighter with every moment movement. I turned more lights on and proceeded to clear my room of clutter, surrendering all the paraphernalia I had stashed. I stopped using drugs that night. With the help of some wonderful teachers, I became an honor roll student and learned to me- meditate while still in high school. I was introduced to the works of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and Dr. Raymond Moody, pioneers in the near-death experience movement. It helped put things in a new context for me. I am grateful for the inner experience and the continuing opportunity to explore this multi-dimensional world. That is the end of the experience. There is a follow-up paragraph um, giving a little more information about... uh, Keisha and uh, it says, Keisha L. Ingle, uh, BACMT has over the decade of exp- over a decade of experience uh, as a practitioner in healing arts field. She is certified in breathwork coaching, Shen, an emotional release bodywork method, cranial sacrotherapy and hypnosis. Ke- Keisha is available for individual and group con- consultations, at Lives Unlimited in Madison, Wisconsin. As of November 2015, Keisha writes that she now lives in Brooklyn, Wisconsin, and is writing a book, Soul Stories. She owns her own business, and one can find out more about her and her work by going to www.soulcodecoaching.com. I thought this was an interesting experience. It's another example of drug trip versus near-death experience. And from everything I read about near-death experience, this is clearly a near-death experience. Now, I totally understand people who say, well, it sounds like a drug trip to me. And that's fine for them to think that. But for those who do the research, you'll find that, that this is very consistent. In fact, it sounds like when Keisha was... Um, first passed out. She was very much in rebellious slash um, uh, depressed slash, you know, angry mode in her life, which explains much of, it, not, not to mention the drug use, you know, drugs often cause or at least promote a, a distressing near-death experience, at least in the beginning. And as it progresses, it usually clears up. Especially if they uh, seek the light and seek God and cry out to him and so forth. Um, And that seems to be what happened here. Is uh, that, you know, this, she is just, I mean, like, tumbling in this darkness. just like spinning and there's this loud buzzing and there's this laughter taunting her. It's just... There's clearly some very distressing um, things going on. She's just confused and not knowing what's going on. And then she catches a glimpse of a light that seemed to be, you know, at the other end of the universe, so to speak. And yet she was drawn to it. And so she tried to get to it. And that trying, whatever that involved, whether it was thoughts or reaching out or, you know, I don't know what, but... She's seeking it, and as she's seeking it, she begins to go toward it. And it's interesting to me that uh, that once she gets to this light and the most loving light imaginable, she, she's filled with this sense of peace that she'd never known before. She's completely awestruck. But she's thinking, how did I get here? Do I really deserve this? And at that point when she's like, do I deserve this? almost as if to say, I shouldn't be here, I, I don't deserve this, I should be in that darkness, kind of thing. Suddenly, she slips whoom, and she's back down in the darkness with the malicious, taunting laughter and haunting sensation in the abyss. And, and she's like, ah! <laughs> she's back in it again. And, and in trying to escape, she apparently does, because she finds herself rushing out of this darkness and um, traversing the universe, as she puts it. And is filled with serenity again. It almost sounds like there's something about this world that allows for darkness. Uh, um, that, the, uh, that the abyss, the uh, void that we experience for some who are leaving this life, generally those who leave this life in a peaceful state of mind, which is challenging when you're dying, but in some kind of peaceful state of mind, almost always find it a wonderful loving experience. And some who are dying in a very unpleasantly kind of a situation or, or in in a very not good situation, you know, where there's crime involved or there's drugs involved, things like that, sometimes they will find themselves enveloped immediately in light and love but uh, sometimes they find themselves in this darkness, but their mindset is completely railing and, and spinning with, with torment um, types of feelings and, and thoughts. And uh, it seems to point toward this idea of where your mind is, where your heart is, that's where you'll be when you die. And so change your heart, change your mind, change your attitude, change your perspective so that when that time comes, you don't have to go through some kind of terrible, distressing experience in order to get to the light. Now, I do recognize, again, that not everyone who leaves this life in terrible mindset experiences a terrible afterlife. And there are some who leave in peace and love who experience, at least in the beginning some distressing images and, and, uh, and experiences and so forth. So it's not cut and dry, but there seems to be a connection there, a, a tendency there as far as where your mindset is and where you go. And just like the Ebenezer Scrooge syndrome, or not syndrome, but the Ebenezer Scrooge experience, when they come out of it, this is an indicator that they're pointed in the right direction, is when they come out of it, they change their life. And because immediately she's like ripping down the posters of marijuana and, and just tearing down the uh, posters of things that reflect the darkness that was in her soul um, prior to this time. And she's like, I'm done with it. She even starts straightening her room, cleaning up her life. It, it, you know, in the cleaning up her room is kind of symbolic of her cleaning up her life which takes place and then she ends up doing wonderful good in the world from what i can see here very interesting and very enlightening i think this is i think this is an example of not just the power that a near death experience can have but what the power of changing your life can have that's what the real power is because there's some who have near death experiences who don't change their life. They just kind of shove it under, "Uh, you know, I'm not going to think about that. I don't know what that means. And then they go on to live a very difficult, horrible life. And it usually takes some other spiritually transformative experience to get them to say, okay, okay, I'll turn my life around. And when they do, wonderful things start to happen. And they start finding, I was in a darkness of my own creating. Even if I didn't do it consciously. Even if I didn't do it willingly, I did it nonetheless, I created that darkness for myself. And when they pull out and they change their life, and they change their perspective, they begin to experience loving, wonderful, fulfilling experiences in their life, in their mortal life. And then when they go, again, they tend to experience more love and joy and so forth. So very interesting. that uh, that seems to be a pattern. We have a comment from a Canadian. It says, <laughs> uh, Miles Hall uh, sent an email that says, "Chaz, I'm a 49-year-old retired member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. My time in the law enforcement in, in law enforcement did damage to me spiritually, and I am now in the process of healing, of gaining more understanding of life." and generally being more, a more spiritual person. It is in this light that I happened upon your podcast. I sampled and tried many, of, uh, many on the topic of near-death experiences. I chose to stay with yours. I thoroughly enjoy your style with the additive narrative on your thoughts and ideas and perspectives on the NDE of the day. What I particularly enjoy is your open-minded attitude and exploration on the subject matter in the way that is conducive to positive open dialogue as opposed to being preachy. Your enthusiasm comes across genuinely. I like that. Your reading of, of other authors' text is excellent. I was a police officer for 20 years and in that time had to deal with death on a level that most people don't have to. It brings me comfort now, after having studied near-death experiences, that the victims of such circumstances are in a better place. Your podcast has helped me a lot in the study of these events. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Miles Hall. Thank you, Miles. What a beautiful compliment. What a a great way of, of sharing your own experience of having come from such a difficult situation, and, and like you said, damage, spiritually damaged, uh, and to, as you're studying near-death experiences, you're finding healing. That's been my experience with those who study near-death experiences. I'm not exactly sure what the mechanism is about that, other than that these are people who are having experiences that are like you and I. I mean, they're everywhere from the suicidal to the, to the, the deeply, even judgmentally religious, to the generally loving person, to the, to the, the deeply spiritual and in tune with spiritual things, to those who are like the one we just read, uh, deep, dark stage of life. I mean, they're coming from every background and they have this near-death experience and inevitably... It turns their life around, especially, especially when they allow themselves to believe and consider their experience and not shut it out into the shadows. And I think this seems to be the case that when people study near-death experiences, the same thing begins to happen. The same change of attitudes, change of perspectives seems to be taking place in the lives of those who study it. We don't have to have a near-death experience to have the awakening effect of it. And honestly, and interestingly, sometimes some of the after effects, not as intensely usually, but uh, but nevertheless to some degree. And I think it's because of this spiritual awakening and this this recognition that we don't have to be afraid of death, not just because life goes on, but because we are headed for a loving, forgiving Heavenly Father and Jesus. And all the uh, the people that have, have meant something to us are there, be it grandparents, be it religious figures of whatever religion, and all of these uh, important beings to us as individuals are there to, sh- to give us that love and to give us that comfort when we get to the other side. And sometimes it's, you know, as in the experience we shared today, it's a little bit of a bumpy ride getting there. You know, this person who had this drug, <laughs> drug overdose was tumbling in this darkness saying, ah, you know what's going on. And yet there was still the light. And because they chose to seek it, they went to it. And then when they began to consider, I don't deserve to be here, they slipped back down, (laughs) which is so interesting. But again, seeking that light again, seeking the love that they had had lost, found themselves swept out of it and and rushing across the universe in love and joy. And, you know, we've talked about how the symbolism of the near-death experience can be both symbolic and real at the same time. That seems to be something that I'm discovering in these uh, uh, experiences is that is that just because it is a perfect analogy for our life on earth or whatever, doesn't mean that it's not precisely accurate to what happens because this person who was tumbling and whatever um, finds themselves in the light And then when they begin to look down on themselves and say, I don't deserve this, they find themselves back in the darkness and then having to pull themselves out again. Um, It's interesting how when we see and recognize we are worth loving, that opens something, that turns on a light in our life that we can press forward and seek out. And as we do, we find that the darkness begins to abate and the and the uh, light begins to overtake us to the point where there is love and there is joy and there is positive in our lives and yes while we're mortal it's going to there's always going to be some level of darkness some level of pain some level of suffering and and as comes up over and over again you know There's still going to be family troubles, still going to be health issues, financial issues, all the same issues, but with a whole new view on them that can turn a life of darkness and fear and brokenness into a life of purpose and hope and anticipation. And I think that's what God wants of us. Just from these experiences, that seems to be the case. He wants us to turn to Him To his love, to his light, in whatever way best works for us right now. He has so many ways of reaching out to us and so many ways of pointing us in a direction toward him. And yes, that will look different for every individual. But the effect is that we come into his light, into his love. And what a beautiful thing that is. So thank you, Miles, for your comment. If you would like to comment and uh, leave uh, a message either with your own experience or with how uh, learning about near-death experiences is touching your life. Or if you would just like to, uh, if you have a question and and are curious about different aspects of near-death experiences, I would love to share that that question on the podcast to see if we can get some feedback from our listeners. You can contact the podcast by either emailing Near Death Experience Podcast at gmail.com or by commenting on the podcast, near death experience or by calling 970-NDE cast. And thank you again, all of you so much for listening.